What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, and my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter III. Today, our guest is Juan, the founder of Full Speed Media. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. Hello, listeners. What's up, Robbie? What's up, Charles? <laughs> Chuck. Yeah, I was going to say, you can call me our informal names. I just want to be known on the internet as, a, you know, more... Gotcha. Yeah. Your username is very formal on here, so... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we go by that on the internets uh, when I enter in credentials, but, uh, you know, we're friends. Yeah, so... Uh... I guess don't tell us too much about yourself yet because we're going to be playing a game here where we need to figure out what's, you know, what's true about you. But uh, if you want to give a little bit about like your company, what you've been working on and uh, I don't know, just general stuff about you as a quick intro. Yeah, for sure. So my company, Full Speed Media, started as uh, just a necessity for uh, contracting some of my work and then providing some live streaming services last year during the pandemic. Uh, to a couple families and then a couple other orgs that just needed the services when the time was called for it. Through that, I built a couple different relationships in the Valley. So I'm based out of Phoenix, Arizona. That's where I am. And that's where I've started building some relationships with local orgs. And there was quickly a need for some other like web-based projects in regards to like fundraisers and then mentoring as well. So I do a lot of mentoring with a local organization called the CSEP Weather Foundation. And I'm just like an overall nerd, man. Like I <laughs> love building cool stuff and I am obsessed with the latest tech and trying and experimenting different things uh, in different areas. So yeah, it's just a little bit about me without giving away too much. That's my aura elevator pitch. All right, cool, cool. It's, it was kind of humble knowing some things, some deeper things about you. I know how <laughs> humble you were. There was no humble brag there. So good on you. <laughs> yeah, I take uh, Juan's word as gospel on what NFTs and tokens to buy. So uh, we'll, we'll get more into that later. But uh, all right, I guess we could go ahead and do the game real quick. So this game is two truths and a lie. So we'll just, I guess we could all do it potentially. Oh my gosh. If our brains will work, but at least Juan, we'll force Juan, the guests, to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. At least me. Yeah. Yes, at least you. So just start saying facts that may or may not be true. Exactly. Well, no, it's two true and one lie. And we have to guess which one's a lie. Okay. So I chipped my front tooth on a scooter accident when I was nine years old. Ooh, very specific. There's one. I wrote my first production code in 2019. So my first line of production code in 2019. And what is the last one? The last one is going to be that my mom, this is going to be about my mom. My mom makes the best <laughs> tacos in all of Arizona. Since your family runs a, a market and restaurant yeah i'm going to go ahead and say the last one for me uh, i haven't had them yet shame on me but i'm still going to go with that i am going to pick that you did not and don't tell us which one's right because robbie's got to make a guess too correct uh, i'm going to choose b that you in fact did not commit your first line of production code in 2019 okay hmm. see i'm 
I'm kind of leaning towards the first one because it was super, super specific, which makes me think that it's too many details. So I'm going to say the first one. The first one is actually true. Ooh. I was trying to get some some wicked sick air on a scooter and uh, chipped this bad boy right here. <laughs> and then uh, the second one is actually also true. Mm. It was making the... Uh, some utils that were being built for uh, online digital graphics, which was a family business, uh, just calling some prices back. This is when I was still in boot camp. The last one is false because my mom makes the best tacos in all the world and the United Ooh. States. So wow. only a couple minutes in and we're already pitching the fam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Technically, though, Arizona is included in that area. So still uh, true. Still true. But mm. we'll, we'll give you that. Technically, you are correct, Robbie. I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> I'm going to have to consult the rule book on this now. I don't know. Yeah. Good plug there, though. I like it. All right. Now you on the fly. One of you two. Yeah, Robbie, because he made the he made this dumb game up. Let's go. All right. I wrote my first production code in 20... 12 i used to be in a hardcore christian band i broke my leg when i was 11 <sighs> um broken leg that's a lie what do you think chuck i also gonna pick broken leg yeah yeah i didn't have a good lie prepared because <laughs> I felt like the, uh, yeah, I felt like the first two seemed a little, like, I've heard these things before, so they were familiar to me. Yeah. Probably part of your origin story, so anybody who listened to that one is going to get it right. Yeah. Spoilers. Well, I don't know if we talked about the type of band I was in, did we? Yeah. I think you did. You were in church basketball leagues, though, and so I'm just tying those two together. <laughs> yeah. I'm also going to take gotcha. a moment to go ahead and pour... The today's whiskey, which came comes from uh, Smooth Ambler, but it's actually a selected cask from a group called Lost Lantern, and they're doing like this, uh, these American whiskey series whiskeys. We got this from Sealbox because they're better at this than we are. Is it Bach or Back? <laughs> back is it? I don't know. I go Bach. Like, yeah, Box. I'll look. You keep talking. Okay. I can handle that. So, uh, yeah, it's an American whiskey, but it looks like it's bourbon, basically. Um, it might be an issue with the... I'll have to look. Oh, no, it is straight bourbon whiskey, 71% corn, uh, 21% winter wheat, so it's wheated, and then 7% malted barley. Hopefully you do the math, give or take. That should be 100. Aged five years, so must be in new American oak barrels. Uh, yeah, it seems pretty cool. I like Smooth Ambler. Did you find information? I'm having a hard time finding this. Okay. Oh, the, the correct pronunciation, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. Is it B-A-C-H? Yes. Yeah. Seal box. I feel like that's Bach. Yeah, that's Bach. Like, I can remember an old candy brand just called Box or something like that. And so yeah. maybe it's because in Cincinnati we pronounce it more, more German. I don't know. Bach. Ladach. Bach. <laughs> Yes. It feels like you should do that. That's not reflective of the whiskey, just so you know. Fair enough. Just what I, I was inspired. Just wanted to make sure we, uh, we got the seal box pronunciation right, because they're going to be picking a few whiskeys for us specifically in the coming episodes. So 
we uh, need to know how to pronounce that. Yeah, there's no official ink deal yet, but I think that's uh, we can ask them for proper logo usage and pronunciation. Yeah, <laughs> as we move forward, get the media pack. Ooh, lots of cherry there, or maybe a little almond, cherry almond. I don't know. Smelling it. What it and and Juan uh, does not drink, but he is going to join us in uh, sampling something and giving some feedback and giving it kind of a rating. So as we smell and swirl things, Zona, tell us a little bit about what you got there. Yes, it's a Sunrise Brevet Latte blended from Coffee Zona. Mm. It's a fancy coffee. Hmm. Now I'm a purist. I don't. I don't add anything to the coffees. I just get it from being. You know, I usually don't either, but I I felt the occasion warranted uh, a little bit of flexing. Mm-hmm. This coffee was more than five dollars, so <laughs> light flex and all the calories you need for the day. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely my lunch and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, breve is half and half, right? Like, so it's just a latte made with half and half. I believe so. Or is it heavy cream? Mm, that's the way to do it, though. I don't know. Yeah, you got to go full fat. I mean, it's silky. Mm-hmm. Smooth. Uh-huh. This is, this is a, well, it's got a little burn just because it's high proof. Sorry, we're regressing back to our whiskey <laughs> thing here. Um, it's got a little burn on the way down, but. Uh, yeah, we should have done a breve. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you look like you need a breve today. Um, we're, mm-hmm. we're really taking it the wrong direction. <laughs> so, yeah, a uh, little leathery, little, again, kind of even in the taste, I get some cherry. But instead of uh, almond, I'm tasting more of like like banana peel kind of, or banana leaves. Like if I smell banana leaves, this is like what I'm tasting. Yeah, I smell basically nothing, hmm. which is odd because... It is very, very burny when I drink it. <laughs> Hurts. Burning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, burning. Yeah. So that's, I don't know if you've caught on on any previous episodes, Juan, but I, uh, the burn as uh, alcohol goes down, well, in Kentucky, we would call that the hug. Yeah. So it's like, I've, I've heard that you want it to burn and then you add just enough water till it doesn't burn to taste. That's the, the method, right? Yeah, it's a good way to go about it. Yeah, there was a place with the Jack Rose in, in D.C. that I would go when I lived there and uh, learned some of those things, refined my tastes a bit. And they were always like, have when you get a pour, you have your first one as the distiller intended and get a taste of that. And then the most basic thing is can add a couple of drops of water, then see what it opens up, see what you get there. And then beyond that, if you just enjoy it chilled or you've had it before, add your ice or ice cube or as Robbie does, he makes it a slushy sometimes. <laughs> yes. Blended, please. Yes. Heavily <laughs> blended. Heavily blended. A spot of red syrup as well. Oh God. What would they do if you tried to order a blended whiskey at a bar? They would, would they do it? Would they put it in a blender with some ice? Probably. I would say most bars would just be like, okay, <laughs> let me have your money. But I'm sure if you went to a nice... Just immediately reached for the bottom shelf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, you clearly just whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did get uh, a new fancy ice mold that's supposed to make like really clear ice cubes. So stay tuned for that. I've always been very curious about those, but then been like dissuaded by the, the cost. It's sort of like, do I really? I don't know. 
I mean, do the ones that aren't clear hurt? I think it was like $35. Like, there's really? some that are like $200. Oh, yeah. And people are saying the $35 one works just fine. So, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that review. Yes. I hope you tweet your review. I will. It'll be so clear. It'll just be like, you can't see it. It's just my fingers holding it. And just remind me, I have a special announcement later. It'll have to be post NFT discussion. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, in terms of rating, I'm not a big fan of this. It's not terrible. I would give it like a three. Wow. Like it just doesn't have a lot of interesting flavor to me and it burns a lot. I'm really enjoying it. But maybe it's, I'm just having a bad day today. I don't know. Yeah. You feeling a little sick? No. can affect your taste buds, you know. I'm enjoying this. I'm not like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, but I think it's quite good. I like a lot of Smooth Ambler. Mm. So a bunch of their stuff in the past I've, I've been into. Old Scout was like their big brand of like barrel picks that they would get from MGP and do their own thing with. But uh, hmm. I'm just tasting again to see if I'm wrong. But no, still like it. I mean, I don't hate it. I'm just saying, like, hmm. given any other whiskey, I wouldn't choose it. Like, aside from that one <laughs> maple syrup one we tried, like, I would steer away from this one. I'm just not a fan. Yeah. See, for me, I'm getting a little bit of that cherry without, like, feeling like it's sweet. Especially with like the corn and the wheat, I was like, oh, I don't know, this could be weird. So I'm giving it a six, six tentacles. Okay. This is where we disagree, my friend. <laughs> so what are the tasting notes you have, Juan, for your zone, zone of coffee? This brevet is properly blended. I like the consistency. Mm -hmm. It's not too crumbly like you get in some other iced coffees and you get big chunks of ice. So kudos, coffee zona. Pretty silky and smooth. But uh, definitely leaves a, like a little aftertaste of the cream. So we're going to go with five tentacles. Mm. All right. Because I will need a Perrier after. <laughs> That's right. You'll need at least three additional tentacles to hold your Perrier. Yes. <laughs> Good call. Good call. So I see how you tried to steer us away from you playing the game, Chuck. But uh, we're going to need you to <laughs> give us three things. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I really thought I was over that. So I stopped. <laughs> I'll just go with this. I'm the one that said, let's uh, improv. Okay, cool. I once played a, the star present in a Christmas play in grade school. My favorite food is hamburgers. And I was once a PHP developer. The hamburgers is false. Yeah, so that that's what I would think, but I, I have clarifying questions, I think. Mm. Because like you would have to have cheese on it, right? So it would have to be a cheeseburger. Like everyone likes cheese. There's no follow-up questions. It's just three pieces of information and you decide which one is true. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'm saying the the hamburger's false. Correct. It's cheeseburger. Damn you. It's cheeseburger. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> I was going to say like <laughs> My mom's the only person I've ever met that doesn't like cheese on a burger. And my son, your mom and my son could hang out. He only wants ketchup <laughs> and pickles on his burger. Hmm. It's very specific. This is all I want. A true purist. This is what I like. But he only likes cheese pizza, though. So it's like... <laughs> and mac and cheese, these kids will crush. So again, you don't dislike cheese. Right. Yeah, the same with my mom. Why don't you try it on this other thing you like? I don't get it. It's like she eats, you know, cheesy everything. But yeah, it can't be on sandwiches or burgers. What about like a cheesesteak? Does she get it sans cheese? 
I don't know that I've seen her get one. If you get a legit like Philly cheesesteak, it's whiz. Yeah, wit whiz, yeah. they call it. Yeah. Yeah, I visited Philly for the first time and they asked if me if I wanted cheese whiz. And I, I didn't know anything about the meta. So I was just like, oh, laid on me, baby. Like <laughs> when in Rome, right? Right, right. Did you go to like Gino's and Tony's or did you just like go to a, another place? I don't remember the name, but it was at some sort of market. Oh, okay. In downtown Philly, near gotcha. the Bell. No, you would you would know because these are they're on the same street. They're like the OG uh, mm. cheesesteak places, and then people have like a tendency towards one or the other. So I tried both. Yeah, yeah, it's all the same. We had like a six hour layover, so we were trying to be like in and out and still like make our flight out. But yeah. I'm sure it was good. Yeah. They say it's the water in the bread. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good bread makes a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. Uh, so Monopoly's properties are partially uh, based on New York properties and some in some in Philly. And the waterworks, for example, is based on uh, Philadelphia waterworks that you like. If you do like a little river ride thing, you go buy it. Hmm. Yeah. Pennsylvania Railroad or Pennsylvania Ave. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Although we had a Pennsylvania Ave in Washington, D.C., so I don't know. Chicken or the egg, I guess. Who had it first? Yeah. Who wore it best, really, is what matters. <laughs> Philly was the first U.S. capital. And then Hamilton traded it off for the banks and was just like, I still have all the power. That guy, you know, his his musical isn't that great. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> okay, should we get into interesting technical topics? Let's talk interesting technical topics. Whoa, is this not interesting? <laughs> well, subjectively interesting, of course. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda would beg to differ, sir. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get him on. What, what NFT is he buying? <laughs> uh, the Encanto ones. You know, I learned he did all the music for the Encanto animated film. Oh. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting. Thanks, wife, for telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, we, we should probably get into some tech stuff. So, I mean, the obvious one, we know you've been working on your own NFT fundraising project. Juan, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks for asking about it. It's called uh, Viva Muertos. That's V-I-V-A-M-U-E-R-T-O-S. You can go to vivamuertos.com. It's actually a, a local fundraiser for Valleywise Health Foundation. They support Valleywise Health uh, Hospitals, which are the county hospitals here in Maricopa County. They are the largest provider of mental health in Arizona, serving over 5,000 patients every single year. And this past year, they ran a program called Emerging Leaders that was kind of like a, a year-long cohort of professional development and community service and networking all culminating in this like shark tank style presentation for projects that are geared towards uh, new donors specifically in like the millennial age range that can be accomplished uh, like in a short amount of time. So that was like the acceptance criteria. And uh, we all, it was six teams. We all went up against each other and like did our little pitches. And then like the, the panel of judges came back and said like, this is the project that is going to get made. Um, and they chose our project. So we partnered with local artist La Locota, who is, this guy's amazing. Like he's been doing mural art here in Phoenix and around the country now for over a decade. Uh, so he does this muralist work that is like based on uh, the other Los Muertos characters. And he's been, you know, painting since he was like nine years old and came to the U.S. 
So we partnered with him to uh, create this NFT drop, which was an agreement between him and the uh, nonprofit where uh, he gets a percentage of the initial sales and royalties after, and then the uh, nonprofit gets the rest. And uh, we as volunteers, myself and my partner, Lupe Valenzuela, we donated our time and our efforts to make the project happen. And we launched on Dia de los Muertos of 2021. Uh, the community has minted uh, almost 100 tokens so far, uh, raising just about 10,000. Uh, we're a little bit under that $10,000 mark for donating to Ethereum back to the nonprofit. And we're, we're chugging right along. One of the pieces of utility, right? Like, because everybody listening is already asking, like, what's the utility? What's the utility? What are we getting for these NFTs? Can't see Dodds talking to you, man. So the <laughs> <laughs> the utility here is that like, well, A, you're supporting a great cause because uh, 95% of the sales go back to the nonprofit. So 95% of the initial sales right off the bat goes back to the nonprofit and is uh, benefiting Arizona families. And Valleywise Health Foundation does a lot of good uh, within the community. So there's that. You also get an original one-of-one one NFT that is programmatically developed by myself and drawn by Lalo. They have unique backgrounds and 10 of the tokens are actually going to be coming with a, a physical piece of art. So like one of them has already been minted. And if you happen to mint one of those, like you will get a custom commission done on the background that your NFT came on. So like there's 10 unique backgrounds and he actually, he made them and like, I still have them in my possession and they're waiting to just be minted for whomever gets that token and then it goes out. There's various other things here and there that are that are going to happen. There's been uh, some meetups and other stuff like that. But yeah, I, my participation specifically was building out like all of the code that was used for it. So like the smart contract, the front end and everything like that w between like the September 17th date when our project got picked and then November 1st uh, when we launched. So that's kind of like my hands-on most relevant experience in Web3 is writing a smart contract, architecting the logic, and then launching the project. So yeah, that's how I got into the space. And I know both of you are supporters of that project. So thank you so much for, for doing that. And Arizona, thanks you. Valleywise, thanks you. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to come with this project going forward. Because like our, our entry point was, you know, I, I think really reasonable at 0 0.035 Ethereum. Um, and especially for the cause, you know, it's not a cash grab for any developers in this situation. So, right. uh, and I know that's what I like a lot of people are, are looking at, you know, how is this a quick flip? So I think we're, we're providing a lot of value to the community. We're Arizona's first NFT fundraiser. And there's something to be said about that. So... Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like the having that attached to your project uh, should eliminate the fear of the rug pull mm -hmm. and whether it like turns into, you know, some massive flipping opportunity on a secondary market is really very secondary to, you know, the benefit it's providing, the artwork it provides, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's fair. So initial, possibly stupid question, why do they call it a smart contract? I think the same reason they called it a smartphone, because contract and phone were already taken. <laughs> okay. Right. It's like a contract. But smart With technology. Yeah. Yeah. It does way more things. Of course it's smart. So, like, the thing is, in the Ethereum white paper, there's not really, like, a reference to smart contracts themselves. Like, 
and don't quote me on this because it, it might be in there as smart contracts, but like the the overall message is that contracts are just wallets, like they're just accounts that that exist on the Ethereum EVM, and they just they execute code that that they store. So they're they're very similar to your own wallet in that regard, but they are smarter than your wallet because they they store code, and your your wallet does not store code if it is a non custodial wallet. Gotcha. So kind of the way it works then, I guess, is that wallet like has some code that's like, okay, the address I got this from is now the owner of this thing I'm going to mint. And then it like sends it back to you or something or like, how does that work? So like when you deploy a transaction without an address on it, so like you deploy it to like zero, zero X, zero, 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 the EVM knows that it's not a transaction going to anyone and you're creating a new account. So when you're creating that new account, you give it whatever logic you want to create it. And usually, um, if you don't define who the owner is of the contract, then you become the owner of the contract. There's various tooling that allows that contract to be transferable or burnable or whatever else. And I think burnable might not be the right term there, but you can definitely make contracts not work anymore. So is this within Solidity or is this something else? So the, my development has been completely within Solidity. Solidity is something that's like, I guess newer-ish in the EVM world when like Ethereum first came on it was like Serpent that's what people were using and like ultimately like Serpent's a a higher level language but everything on the uh, EVM like is like lower lower bytecode language that gets compiled so yeah, all, all of my development has been done in in Solidity, and like there's very there's various other toolings that you can use if you're using like Python or something else. But me like JavaScript, so mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> don't we all? And I think that's applicable to this podcast, <laughs> where even our curiosities in other areas always kind of land back to to our home. JavaScript is our home, and we ride it all over yeah. the place, everywhere we can. Yeah, mm-hmm. we actually uh, use it in our graffiti murals as well. I think it feels like sometimes like JavaScript's kind of like a uh, like a passport of the world. Like I can go anywhere with this thing. There's somebody doing something with with JavaScript, and so yeah. Oh yeah, front end, back end, apps, everything. It's everywhere. Yeah, you can't be stopped. Can't stop, won't stop. SpaceX uh-uh. uses it for their like. Do they really? How to fly rocket ships? Yeah. And Rust is a support mechanism to make JavaScript better. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Yeah. I've been uh, looking at Rust. It's one of those things that keeps getting closer and closer to the top of my list of like, uh, I'm going to give this some time and really get into it. Mm. But yeah, Rust looks very interesting. I've been hearing about it forever, but I've never, never touched it myself. No, I came across this 24 days of Rust and it was like a tutorial where it basically gives you like a node scenario and then the Rust equivalent to help you learn and like move to utilize that instead which I thought was really interesting because hmm. you're familiar with node and you can do some things, then it might be a little more one-to-one. Yeah. Do that thing, but faster. <laughs> that's the promise. I don't know. That's all I know. Always faster. Yes. So I'm just looking up some notes here and I'll let Robbie have the credit for this, but I'm going to say it. Uh, well, I'm curious about how you come up with how to algorithmically generate the images for a mint. Let me ask a, a question about the question. Are you talking about like technically how is it done or like how are the decisions made? Well, for me, I'm, I think a little bit more technically. Yeah. And I'm assuming that's how it worked because I'm maybe not. You know, I read a lot of Web3 things and I still feel like I don't know anything. And 
a lot of it is like you're defining traits and there's these potential traits that occur and then it kind of goes into a function, mm-hmm. but you know, there's some abstractions and rules into that and whatever else, but to simplify it, like, okay, great. I click the button function generates thing, gathering random traits that are available. Yeah. Gives you back image. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it with a couple nuances in between, but it's basically uh, where are the source images, how often, and and it's not really a how often it's a how heavily do you want these weighted and there's like a whole like graph that i've looked at in tables that uh like kind of define the difference between like weights and percentages so when you're adding the weights to each one of the the layers if you want something rarer you give it a, a lower weight so it's less likely that it's going to be uh chosen in the algorithm but yeah that's basically it is you set up some folders with different layers and the layers like the way you acquire the layers can be can be kind of different ours was ours was kind of tedious because the artist hand drew everything And so like there was some going back and forth at first because uh, like the first set of drawings that I got from him were like complete characters. Mm. And so it was just like, wait, like this was not really what what we were thinking we were going to get at first. We thought we were going to get like the individual pieces. I would scan them all in, you know, cut them out, copy over position and then and then we're good. But instead we had to like scan in the entire characters and cut the pieces out individually and then like position them until he he came back with some like the, the rounds two, three and four were great and they had like the individual cutouts and stuff. But it, it took a little bit of doing at first. So yeah, it's like organizing your work and then like iterations, iterations, iterations because like when you add like, like if I'm a character right now and you're looking at me and I add my glasses, but then I also add a different set of eyes where I'm like winking. And now all of a sudden, like my glasses are off from the wink, like that has to be accounted for. So it's like running, Mm -hmm. running tests for that was very visual. (laughs) And it took like, like a lot of like, like graphic design skills of just like being very thorough with the different layers. And I think there's still some artifacts that you can see in the project of like, well, why is that little line there, that like imperfection? And I think at the end of the day, it, it just, it was a real testament to like the project, it being a, an art experiment fundraiser, right? Like there's all these different things that had to come together and all these moving parts to to make it happen. And at the end of the day, it's, it, you know, the algorithm and getting like the pieces to work was one part of it, but it was also making the decisions on on the front end with the artist and saying like, hey, we just ran this code for three hours and we've got 10,000 unique pieces. Now, can you like, kind of like with a microscope, take a look at at least a hundred of them and tell tell us like, is this authentic to your work? And I think taking the time to go back and forth with that and like being able to say, this is a La Locota original, like was very important to the project. But so like from a tech point of view, um, it will go through and grab one random trait from each one of the folders that you tell it to grab it from. And so like there's a further layer layer of abstraction where I'm saying like, I don't need you to necessarily know which folder you're grabbing this out of, but randomly pick a folder so then I can vary the traits that come within a subset. So like maybe I have male and female faces and like you need to either pick one first. So that's the first level of randomization and then you go deeper and deeper. So the, the writing all that in and like making sure like you don't have like a weird matchup trait um, pop up was was a lot of that. Hmm. Interesting. So aside from manual and visual testing, is there any kind of testing that you can build into that upfront or? Yeah, absolutely. So the making sure that you don't have like duplicates was like really important. So tying all each one of the layers to a specific 
number value in the unique hash. So like each one of the pieces have a unique hash that is like its ID and no two uh, NFTs have the same token. And that's the like unique part of it. So because each trait is tied to a value in the hash, you know that if there's no two repeating hashes, there's no two items that visually look the same. And so like, that's the built-in part of it where you start running the code. And like for the first thousand, 2000 iterations, you just like create a new item, create a new item. And then all of a sudden you start seeing where it's logging out like, oh, this one already exists. So there's a good amount of testing that goes into making sure that your collection is like what you want it to be. And then also, I guess, testing the metadata. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it can be. But there's there's a lot of tools being built and like some stuff that I like want to like work on perfecting in my like own personal tool set of like settings and stuff that can go into hard hat and like writing your own tests just like we do in, in web two. So like I, I wrote a lot of tests for uh, the contract itself and like the logic behind the contract. That was, that was where most of the testing was done. Yeah. I think there's a ton of uh, opportunity in terms of like tool sets and infrastructure around web three for sure. Yeah. Taking some of the basis of what we have, but also saying like, oh, some of the things we have aren't great. What would be better for this particular paradigm? Yeah, I really want to host a website on my ENS, but I'm like, I'm really worried. I'm going to mess the styles up. I don't want to spend $200 every time I want to change it. So I'm like, I just use it to identify like my address because it's easier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Same. That's what I'm using it for. Did you get some of the airdrop that ENS did? Did you get your name before the airdrop thing? I don't think I did. No, I mean, we got them pretty recently, like maybe a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. But so like that fees.wtf was just like, in no uncertain terms, like what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> It's ironic that they called themselves that because, yeah. and I'm, I'm not overly, uh, in on the lingo but my i have a friend who really is and he was like oh yeah that was a rug pull i totally just bailed on that yeah so it's like to say that something is a rug pull i feel like to me implies like okay this group specifically said we're going to build this thing we're going to do it under the auspices that we're going to provide any amount of value and then we're not going to provide any and we're just going to grab the bag and run right like that's what i think is mostly what defines a rug pull i think in this situation it might just have been a lot of incompetence, honestly. Like, it didn't seem like there was enough liquidity lined up to be able to support the token pairs. And so, like, maybe I'm naive in the world at this point to say, like, oh, that was for sure, like, a rug pull or not. But, like, looking at it from the consumer standpoint, right, and, like, ha having just having benefited from, like, the ENS airdrop where, like, yeah, it was, like, from one night to the other, it was, like, 5,000 tokens and it was, like, $3,000, right? Like, verifiable, there's liquidity backing all this stuff up. And I'm like, all right, great, airdrops rock. I love airdrops now. <laughs> and then I had heard of fees.wtf. Like, I had referred people to them to, like, check their gas prices and stuff. And I know that, like, gas DAO is out there, uh, and this is another DAO for a decentralized autonomous organization that is doing something similar for people who have spent over three ETH on the marketplace. They're doing an airdrop. And I was just like, that's inaccessible because I haven't done that across one account. And so I went for the, the fees.wtf and then it was just like immediate gas war. And I was like, this is not it. Right. I think like in one of our common chats, like the only thing that I said was this doesn't scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really doesn't because, um, <laughs> You know, I'm seeing like thousands and thousands of dollars in gas prices in order to get these tokens in exchange for the gas prices that I have 
already spent, which so it doesn't it didn't make any sense. I think more than yeah. anything, it was just a lack of transparency regardless. So whether and OK, so a rug pool essentially means you have an intentional goal there to take the money and run. And maybe that wasn't their intent necessarily. But I think that like pumping this value that they're going to give and then not letting you know that like the price to entry and that could get a little crazy intentional or not. It's very disingenuous. Yeah. And so you're like, Oh cool. This is cool. And I've talked to my friends about it and now I click the button and then there's a thing. And now I have to make an on the spot decision. Do I want to move forward with this promised value or am I dissuaded by that? In my case, it wasn't that much promised value. So it was pretty easy to be like, yeah, that's a no. Same. But for other people who maybe have been in the game a little more and getting in on, on a lot of, more things they might think that well the potential versus what i'm paying here might be something and then who knows so is that a rug pool if they're just like kind of out yeah and i mean the stance that i was really looking at it from that day was like okay like let me go provide some liquidity in one of these pools and uniswap or something and like back this pair and then now i'm getting you know yield on top of that and and i'm really glad i didn't obviously because you know we all saw what happened people got drained for hundreds of thousands so I think that there's there's a lot to be said there. And so like going back to like the code, right? So like looking at their contract, like the one thing where I was just like, eh, yeah, that's that's going to be a hard pass is like they can change the commission rate that goes from like from user to user on the rel links. So like when you create that little link where you get a percentage of, they can change that. So it's just like that right there in itself, like kind of dismantles the whole the whole kind of system itself of like any sort of trust, because now you're just like, what are you even doing, right? Like you're kind of taking away the whole benefit of the immutability of your contract. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of that that's going out. And I think when you hear that, like so many of these projects are going to fail, it's because of stuff like that, right? Like where it's a land grab or we're trying to do stuff real fast and like people don't understand and we don't do our own research and like we don't look at the code or we don't look at the stuff or we don't know how to look at the code, right? There's a lot of that that's happening. Or maybe you just don't don't understand the implications across like the entire landscape. And that is why I think that the technologies have a lot of potential and where we're at with the technologies aren't necessarily how they will be realized in our everyday lives down the line. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's the utility of things providing value? It's a lot of marketing. There's like all these other things, but I mean, it's pretty low risk to like have a, a weird ape drawing and then lose some money on that three years down the line. But like if my mortgage is on the line with similar technology, well, you know, the fail rates need to be really ironed out. So, yeah. you know, you can play around with it for other things like the ideology that an NFT equals JPEG is not necessarily true. It's just sort of the output that is popularized at this point. And that's fine. And that's its own thing. And I do think that, you know, there's there's a space for that, too. But it's just not like a singular use case. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of is similar to anything else in life, right? Like I potentially buy a lot of things just because it looks nice like they put a lot of work into it same is true with any of these projects right like fees.wtf is like we wrote like one line of html to put this website up here you go like yeah if they had spent a lot of time on like you know really planning everything out getting nice designs making everyone feel like a good community like doing all of these things 
I feel like any of those, whether they make you rich or not, I can't tell you, but you're not going to just lose all your money on it if they've really planned and care about it versus like the way the other ones are. A hundred percent. Yeah. And value is subjective in that sense. We, you know, we got involved in Juan's project, not because I thought that like it was going to blow up an open sea and make me a bunch of money. I mean, although Juan, you know, if you can like get to work and, and, and make that happen, that'd be cool. Uh, but you know, working on it. Conversely, local artists dig it, you know, muertos, they're cool. Yeah. And then the whole like, Oh, nonprofit aspect of it. I'm like happy to support that. So, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that like overwhelmingly that's the tone right now is that everybody's so sick and tired of like these ape derivatives and, and not yelling out any project in particular, but it's like, now you're getting derivatives that are derivatives of derivatives. And it's like, where does it all end? Mm -hmm. So now people are crying for, for utility and it's like, okay, well, like where, where are we really at in the space? Because like, you know, who else had utility? Like everybody, like JC Penny had utility. They're not around. You know, Blockbuster had utility. They're not around. <laughs> so it's like, I think a lot of people think that like, I can take my half-baked idea or my app idea or my project idea that I've had in my back pocket forever. And I can just sprinkle blockchain because it's the new fancy thing. And ipso facto, like here I am, project owner, manager, founder, XYZ, whatever titles I want to add. Well, if you want funding, you better use the right terminology. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Blockchain, $5 billion evaluation. <laughs> what exactly are you doing on blockchain? Smart contracts. Yeah. Didn't some company rename themselves to like blockchain something and they don't even do anything technical? <laughs> They're like... Why not? Marketing. Insurance or something. <laughs> Why not? I mean, Facebook isn't in the metaverse, but... I mean, I guess they, their Oculus company kind of is, but... They bought their way in. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. Yeah. And so like to that end, I think like that's the takeaway, right? Is that like blockchain in itself is not this like secret ingredient that now like makes everything better. It, it has become this like buzzword that people want to like do a land grab for. But realistically, like this is just the building blocks of uh, of how we're going to build bigger, better, more decentralized, more trustless applications and systems. And like a smart contract isn't always just an agreement between two people that needs to be executed. Like it's it's more more typically like a an impartial piece of code that just exists on the EVM. So like when we can start interacting with these things in more meaningful ways, like accountability. So like there's like POAPs, uh, proof of attendance protocols that are like they're not on the main net. They have their own subnet. And, you know, you, you start incentivizing attendance to certain things and you start really building community. Like there's this, there's another local place called Honey House and like they're doing uh, NF Tuesday. So every Tuesday they're meeting up and they're, um, you know, doing stuff like meetups and, and things like that. So I think building the community for like a really long time is what's super important for these like NFT projects. But again, NFT is just, just one side of this. There's DeFi, there's, there's so much more. Yeah, the DeFi is DAOs. DeFi is fake. <laughs> I don't understand it at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, do you understand traditional finance? Because I also don't understand that. But that's the stuff that moves things. I learned some things over the pandemic about traditional finance. Like, you know, mm. yeah, a lot of stuff on Robinhood. But DeFi is like, it's like, okay, so buy a couple tokens. Now, like, pair them up and make a new liquidity token. And then we'll just give you interest on that. Mm. Okay. I have some interesting videos to show you on that. Oh, because they're market makers, because they replace market makers. So in traditional finance where you have market makers in order. So that's essentially what this liquidity pool stuff is all about. But uh, 
I have videos that will say it better than me. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's mainly so other people can borrow out of that pool, right? Absolutely. Right. Or transact out of that pool, right? Because there's all kinds of things happening there. But essentially being able to transact out of a pool, whether it exists or not. And while like traditional finance allows that to happen, you know, in a magic black box where you have like a time frame to sort of create the asset as needed and you have market makers there able to like make it happen. This all happens without people and it's real time with computers. And so you need it available or it fails. There was a project early on in my career that I was working on a distributed ledger for like a fintech company through an agency. And the whole story was that they had spent so much money on getting this approval process to work across different time zones and different locales. And like, it was just such a huge project to build this distributed ledger of like systems that are approved by people. And it's like, that's literally like the use case for like a lot of these blockchain apps and you know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a trustable paper trail, which I think is interesting. I think the smart contracts can provide that. I mean, you think about like a high level use case, if you had a home that was in foreclosure and in that circumstance, you can't really, you have no idea you're transacting with a bank kind of, and potentially mortgage products. And since it's in foreclosure, you have no idea the last time the roof was replaced, right? But if you had a contract that was tracking that over time and like giving you that information and not either like trusting access to an owner or a bunch of paper bills or whatever else that like there's a contract that's only associated to that particular property and then gets everything attached to it over time. Even in a foreclosure situation, you have trust there because here you go. Here's the trust contract. I know it was replaced two years ago. Perfect. Oh, it was replaced 10 years ago. You know, I'm making a smart financial decision based on when I know thing maintenance things need to be done. Yeah. Look us up on deed.io, the new product we're building. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you better go register that right now. (laughs) You mentioned DAOs, and one of the ones that I have been like coming back to and recommending to people that are curious about like the basics of the space, there's one called Odyssey DAO. And they have like this 12 day email series that you can uh, subscribe to. And it just like does very basic things. What is Bitcoin? What's an NFT? What's uh, a DAO? And then they created this DAO all about learning. So they're like going to do like um, open office chats about hardware wallets and just like different things like that. So you can like they're trying to create a bunch of um, just learning materials and meeting sessions and kind of like online meetups, stuff like that. And I can really dig where that, where that's coming from. Like they're not trying to get people rich. They're trying to get people informed on the space. That's a huge opportunity right now. It's just like, who's documenting all this stuff? Like, and who's writing it all out there? And like, like when I was looking for, for help with this stuff, like there's not like a bunch of stack overflow articles on this. Like there's, there's a handful of guys and gals who are working on this stuff whenever they can and tracking them down is kind of tough. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's so many use cases, I think. And like one of the ones that I saw recently was like, so I'm working on getting my um, private pilot license and every pilot that has a license needs to be able to track all of their hours, like where they took off from, like the inspection on the plane, all of that stuff needs to be recorded and audited by the FAA at a moment's notice. And the way that they do it is they will get like a tiny scrap of paper and then possibly laminate it possibly just fold it up and then keep it on the airplane. 
And so like you can imagine how that's like if you're flying with an with an, you know, FAA inspector and you don't have it, like you're, now you're grounded. And so like pulling all of that onto the blockchain where now like instead of like me auditing whether or not like I wrote it, is that a seven, is that a two, whatever, like all of the records for the airplane are now all committed to a, a distributed public ledger. There's no more guesswork, right? Like there, you don't have to trust, you can just verify. Mm. And I think use cases like that are going to be uh, some of the cases where where we see it roll out and we're like, oh man, like, yeah, duh. Like, why haven't we been doing it that way? Like, and I think it's just like, it's just a virtual machine that everybody agreed like, yeah, let's run those nodes. And that's the truth. So like the, you know, whole proof of work, proof of stake thing, like whichever side of the fence you lie on, on that thing, like it's all at the end of the day, just a way to, to not have to trust and to just be able to verify. Mm. I didn't know you were such a Reagan fan. I'm a Reagan fan. Mm-hmm. Like Ronald. Yes. It's one of his most famous quotes. Trust, but verify. No. Okay. Oh no! I was saying the opposite. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I a I didn't know that was a Reagan quote. Mm-hmm. So my B. No, that's all right. I'm older than both of you combined, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have to trust. I don't want to have to like use my emotions to say like, is this good or not? Like financially, from this perspective, can I trust that this is going to happen the way I want it to? Like, I want to just be able to verify and say like, yeah, by the end of this block, this transaction is going to happen because of this, this, and this, or it's not. Ooh. T-shirt idea. Trust because I verified. <laughs> there it is. Start printing them. Yeah, Web3. So we're we're running out of time here. Yeah. One thing, Chuck, you had said you had something we need you needed to bring up after NFTs. What was it? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, I know. We, we started to like kind of dive down the rabbit hole of his uh, hobbies and flying. And yeah. we didn't even talk about his drone obsession. But okay. So speaking of. We can maybe get to that. Just tell me what your thing is real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you can't help. So we were talking about NFTs, the community thing, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. And like inevitably, just kind of like with an Oculus, you have to have a Facebook account because they suck. <laughs> Basically, to be in the NFT world and like figure out what's going on, you have to be uh, on Twitter and they make it very inconvenient if you don't have an account. So I have one now that I have not told anyone about just for that fact. So I'm, I'm kind of back, kind of back, back on Twitter. Are you at Chuck Carpenter? No, because someone stole that, like probably four seconds after I deleted my account. <laughs> Charles W. Carpenter III? Pretty close. They don't give you that many characters. <laughs> of course not. I don't even remember what I am. Oh, uh, Charles W. the third, Exactly like that. So Charles W. T-H-E, the number three, R-D. <laughs> Enjoy. Lean in. Yeah, why yeah. not? <laughs> yeah. That was the other, like we were talking about Twitter and then we were talking about like more my aristocratic sounding name. So I just leaned into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like me with the name puns. I can't help but lean into it. So I'm at Juan for the money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I've noticed you have a lot of them. Yeah. It's Mm Obi-Wan. That's probably my favorite. Juan two three was in high school when I did like the morning announcements and pep rallies. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Obi-Wan is like the best. I can't wait for that show. It's going to be amazing. Ooh, yeah. Have you watched the uh, Boba Fett? I just started watching it. uh, So I got COVID uh, not too long ago and was just like, what to do? Because body don't worky. So watched uh, (laughs) Boba Fett. Did your mom deliver tacos? She delivered uh, albondigas and uh, frijoles charros. So... 
no uh, tacos this time. So frijoles charros are uh, just a medley of like pork rinds and sausage and beans and various accoutrements. Mm, okay. Really good. I want that. Yeah. Is that at your restaurant? No, that's like a home thing. Like she doesn't serve that at, at the restaurant, but uh, Nick had requested it. So like we might we might dip into that. Okay, let me know where that's at. I will drive to the west side for that because that sounds amazing. There it is. Yep. Yeah. I want something you cannot get anywhere else. That's a must. Yeah. At your house. In my home. In my parents' home. <laughs> yes, I want to go to your parents' home. Just don't bring the vid. Hi, I heard you have food. I heard you have food. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for the homemade food. You know Juan, right? Yeah, he sent me. <laughs> yep. One, two, three. I'm here. <laughs> yes. Another thing about my parents. <laughs> so like I met this uh, NFT artist who's like doing these scribbles on Facebook and he's like, oh, look at my NFTs, whatever. And like he's got some really cool stuff that he does by hand. And he is also raising money for like mental health. And I like just commissioned this this art for my parents anniversary. And like he does both hands doing scribbles at the same time. And he's like, hey, if you want a free one, like I'll toss one in for buying these two. And like. It's just so incredible how much talent is out there. And I think like without this space of like the NFT space for all its like quirks and mishappings and lost gas fees, like has really turned me on to like the art world and has exposed me to a whole like different way of creating stuff um, and connected a lot of people that I might not have been connected with otherwise. So if nothing else, it's been a great experiment so far. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely interesting no matter what, no matter where it lands. I think it's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, we are at time about, so thanks everybody for listening. And if you liked it, please subscribe and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Yeah. Appreciate you. you. Want to do your outro, Chuck? Me? Yeah. No. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.